Tenakoto e Teniata. Hello and good morning. Thank you. Welcome to the third part of the trilogy uh, of In His Image, which is all about end of life, uh, particularly because of the bill, and Pete's introduced that really well for us. What I'd like to do is to start with a story. When Jacob, Abraham's grandson, met Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Pharaoh said, how old are you? A bit direct, I thought. How old are you? You see, I don't think that Pharaoh had met anyone as old as Jacob before. Jacob replied, the years of my pilgrimage have been 130. Wow. 130 years old, and he's not dead yet. In fact, he lived another 17 years and died at the ripe old age of 147. According to the Guinness Book of Records, this lovely lady, Jean-Louise Carmont from France, who died 21 years ago last month, is the oldest living person whose age has been verified. Here she is on her 120th birthday. She died at the age of 122. Quite young, really. Tell me, how long do you expect to live? How long do you want to live? I've had 84 at the front. Any advance on 84? 98, very good. You see, today we're looking at an important set of questions which are all about our end of life and the choices I have to end it with dignity and without suffering. As Pete said, it's a huge subject, right? And it's full of emotion and some trepidation, probably, for most of us, right? And our views about it are often heavily influenced by the experience of our friends and family, or lack of it, for that matter. We may know people whose lives have ended in great distress and pain, in which case you may still feel that grief right now. And I want to tell you, I have painful memories too. My little brother, five inches taller than me, died of acute lymphoblastic leukemia, an old man, at the age of 26. I watched my parents grow old and lose much of their physical and, in mum's case, mental capabilities. I would like to try and tell you about when we went to the intensive care unit in Rotorua Hospital, but I can't. So I feel pain, and I've asked lots of questions about this subject myself. But what about you and me, though? Do you aspire to a rock star lifestyle? Bring it on, baby. Cool, man. And then when you can't anymore, 
just pass on? Or maybe first we've got to do the bucket list. Fishing in Topol, <laughs> skiing in Colorado. What else is on Lonnie's bucket list? <laughs> or maybe, just maybe, you really love life here in Pararua. Right? And you're looking forward to tomorrow. And it's always going to be like that for you. Well, Paul says, you're in a great place if that's the case. Right? Godliness with contentment is great gain, is what Paul has to say to us. But surely the question arises, why can't I just live forever? Why can't every day just be perfect and the next one too? Why can't, why do we all have to die? Can't we fix the aging mechanism within us? Right? Can't we supercharge our immune system so that it deals with every illness and disease? And why don't our fingers grow back when we cut them off? Well, why, and therefore, why can't we live for hundreds of years? Well, this guy thinks we can. All right? Now, you may reserve judgment on that, but I want to tell you, this is why I introduced Jacob's story, because we cut it off before he'd finished. The years of my pilgrimage have been 130 they, are, they have been few and difficult, and they do not equal those of my fathers. You see, if we have read Jacob's story, if we've read the story of the Bible, then we would realize that actually his fathers live for hundreds of years. They did live for hundreds of years. So, uh, this chart shows Adam at the top. Hopefully those with good eyesight can see it. All the way down to Jacob and everybody in between in his lineage. Right? And you'll see from this chart that when Jacob down here at the bottom died, actually during his lifetime, five of his fathers died. So what Jacob said was the real deal, okay? And just incidentally, that means he probably knew, knew an eyewitness to the flood, Shem, whose great-grandfather happened to know our father Adam. I just want to leave that with you and see what you, that tells you about the authenticity of the Old Testament. See, Jacob's story, the story of the Bible, is that the creator God made men and women in his own image. His intention was always to share eternity with them. And he built a garden with more than an abundant provision for their needs. He walked with them 
in the cool of the afternoon. He is a good, good father and he doesn't want any of his children to die at all. Now that's still the case. Peter wrote several thousand years later, or sorry, more than 1,000 years later, um, it's not God's will that anyone perish. So you see, death didn't come about by the intent of God. Moreover, it wasn't God's action that brought death to the human race. Jacob's story tells us what happened, as Pete reviewed for us in the first of this series. Adam and Eve chose to believe not God, but God's enemy, and did the one thing, and only one thing, that God told them not to do, because they would die if they did it. I'm going to introduce to you today the ABC. Here, here it is. The, the, the Lord commanded the man, you can eat from any tree, but not this one because you'll die if you eat from that one. The ABC of end of life choice. A is for avoid all harm. That's what dad said in the garden. Don't eat of that tree. You need to avoid all harm. Adam and Eve, though, were very millennial people. <laughs> a very modern young couple. They believed it was their choice. But it's my choice. Fruit looks good. It's going to make me more like God. I will be wise. I'll eat it. There was only one snag with this decision. Actually, there were three. I'm out of, out of time. Um, but this, what, what did they do? They decided that what God said could be overridden by what they chose to do. Okay? And therefore, um, this is what happened. The original sin. The lust of the flesh for significance, the lust of the eyes for everything to be desired, and the pride of life to be like God's substituted for trust that the Father Creator would always meet everything they needed and more. And so it goes on. We have continued in that ever since. Just get my place. <clears throat> Good. Well, Adam and Eve hit three major problems with their worldview. The first one was it was based on three deceptions. Did God really say? Well, I spotted that one. Well, yes, God did say. But they were already more like God than they would ever be again. Right? They were already more like God than they would ever be again. And the 
tree, eating from the tree didn't bring wisdom. It brought foolishness. And they ran from God because they thought they were naked. Second major problem with that view is this. ABC of end of life choice. C, choices have consequences. And they chose sin against trusting in the living God. And the consequence of sin is death. And the third major problem with their worldview was this. They missed eating from the tree of life, which would have renewed their bodies and healed every disease and as they were banished from the garden. Since then, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. As Pete said in his sermon, the third spiritual story in our makeup died. Body, mind and spirit died. Paul puts it this way. What a wretched man I am. Oh, it's not supposed to come up like that. Never mind. Don't look at the bottom two lines. What a wretched man I am. What a miserable state we find ourselves in now. Just like that broken down building that Pete showed us that used to be so glorious but is now a ruin, we as men and women retain some of the image that we were made in of God. We carry many of his graces and virtues and we still have significant honour as his creation and dignity that comes from just that, that we're made in the image of God and have self-consciousness and personhood, as Pete explained. But here's the rub, as Shakespeare would say. However godlike we think we are, we will all die. Without exception, our lives are fatally poisoned by sin. Who will rescue me from this body who is subject to death? Who is it who is outside of all this mess who might come in and rescue us? Who is it who has conquered death and has eternal life? Who is it who has come back from the dead to show us that there is life beyond the grave? Above all, who is it that can undo Adam's sin? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the rescuer who God sent to, to rescue us. As Jesus said, God so loved the world, and that means you and me, that he sent Jesus to give us eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Wow, could you get excited with me about that? Yes. 
Who do you get excited that actually, even though we don't deserve it, even though we haven't earned it, God has provided a way where we can say, death, where is your sting? Death has been overcome. Wow. So the question is, how can I, when I get back to where I should be in my papers, two questions remain. The first question is this, how can we receive this marvellous gift? And the second question is, how do we avoid losing the blessings that God has for us? So let's start with the first question. If I had here in my back pocket a ticket to paradise in the Pacific for you, how would you receive it? You'd have to come and take it to the airport and get on the plane. Right? So how do we receive the gift of eternal life? Well, we come back to our middle ABC. Believe in Jesus Christ. You see, it's all about choice after all. It's all about choosing to believe in him. When we kneel before the cross, when we turn from our broken ideas and accept him as Lord, then we're born again of the Holy Spirit. And that third spiritual story in our makeup is restored. And his life that will never die grows in us. Our enemy death is defeated and its power is broken. The key is to choose and believe in God. This agreement puts us under his protection and his sovereign reign and grace and mercy is free to flow into our lives. Our life gains purpose and destiny. As Pete showed us, we now become part of Jacob's story who will take God's story to our generation so that more can be rescued. As adopted children, we become fellow heirs with Jesus Christ of eternal life and a future that's so glorious it turns our suffering into the birth planes of our eternal destiny. When my dad died, I was very unhappy at how he died because he had pneumonia and fighting for your breath. It's not an ideal way to pass on. So I know that mere words may not touch some of your pain straight away. I encourage you to take it to him. God is big enough, loving enough, patient enough to take us through that process. And when I did that, there's two things I want to share you, uh, with you that I felt he revealed to me. The first one was this, that actually sin causes more loss and destruction than I'd ever given it credit for. We just simply don't deserve to die on a high, right? But the second thing was this. I believe God showed me that through his grace, we can invest in ending life well. 
right? We can invest in ending life well through his love and his mercy, through his word and his spirit, with the fellowship of the church as well, we can accumulate the fruit of grace for our end of life. Let's start right now. Let's, what practical ways could we in King's Church invest for our end of life? Well, today is just the start of the conversation. But here's a couple of things I'd like to point you to. Um, first of all, it's this, that what you sow, you reap. You can't pull a fast one on God, right? What you sow, if you sow by the Spirit, from the Spirit we will reap eternal life. Okay. So, but on that, but also Paul talked about in Ephesians 4, hey, here's another few sermons, right? That we can live according to God's ways and that will invest for, 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 for the future. Be renewed in your mind. Put on your new self. Don't give the devil a foothold. Build others up. Whoa, well, I better skip over that one quicker. We'll be here all morning. But the other one I would like to say to you is on the principle of what if you sow, you will reap. Show honour to others, right? Show generosity in kindness. Show authenticity in our personal righteousness, right? Show inclusiveness to everyone and have the courage to do these things. And what we sow, I believe, we'll reap. Okay, so that's how we can receive this marvellous gift. The question is, is there a catch? Is there a Shakespearean rub? Can we still be robbed of much of the blessing God has for us? And I think that's where our, our res response to this end-of-life choice bill comes in. I suggested you could have a Barney with God about the end of life if you don't like it. I did. But that doesn't extend to unbelief. We know from the disciples' experience that when we bring our unbelief to Jesus, what do we get? A sharp rebuke. Now, is that because he's really secretly vindictive and egotist? Of course not. God wants to save us and Jesus wanted to save the disciples from losing the blessing that he had for them. You see, how could we lose it? Well, the same way Adam and Eve did. By unbelief in what Father God said and instead agreeing with his enemy. You see, here's a fact of life. Whoever we make a contract with, have an agreement with, or even vote for, has power, takes our authority and has power over us. My utility company takes money from my bank account every week, every month, I mean. The politicians we've all voted for raise taxes we have to pay, right? They pass laws we've got to keep. Google reads all your stuff. And it's the same with God's enemy. If we make an agreement with him, we empower him. 
And guess what the fruit of that is? Because he is a thief, and if I've got myself in the right place, and a destroyer. Jesus said he comes only to steal and destroy. There's no debate about the end result here. Okay, but I came that you may have life and have it to the full. Yes! You see, we have an enemy, and that's who he is. So let's, above all, not do this through our end-of-life choices, right? And, uh, and so I want to uh, put to you three questions that I see are behind this bill, right? This is the first one, if they're going to come up properly. Yes. Isn't death a merciful end to suffering? We were asked this by the select committee. Gillian, Ginny Anderson asked us this one. Isn't it a mercy just to die? What would your answer be? Well, God's merciful end to suffering is faith in Jesus Christ. It's not like it will prevent suffering. We only have to look at Jesus on the cross and in the garden to know that. But to the thief who died on the cross next to him, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, what faith in Jesus Christ gives us an eternal future where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no mourning forever. Uh, excuse me, got lost again. And in fact, it gives us a hope which is certain. Here's another verse. The hope we have is an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast because Jesus has gone before us. We can be certain that if we want to deal with suffering in our lives, it's faith in Jesus Christ that will do that. Um, death is an enemy. It's not an end to suffering. Now, Jesus also said um, that while every day is full of mercy and he came not to judge the world but to save it, there's a second half to that as well, but there is one who will judge the world. And so as we've seen, death is a transition to eternity and Jesus said without salvation there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he warned everybody, it would be wrong of us as a church, not to warn us, warn you, that death doesn't, you've got to know, as Shakespeare said, what dreams there may be after you die. The second question is this. Oh, I'm getting all three. Very good. Don't I lose purpose and dignity in suffering. Isn't my life just spent and worthless right as I get towards the end of my life? Surely God has no more blessing for me and I can't bless anybody else anymore. What's the point? 
Well, activity falls away as we get into older age. You can't do everything you used to be able to do, hence the desire to do the bucket list, right? While you still can. But does that mean that significance and blessings go as well? No. Not even in the presence of suffering. I visited two dear friends in the hospice back home, and it turned out it w w they died a week later. And I know that both of them received a blessing through my visit. Those who were very close to them, who were with them, told me so, and I could see it in their faces. All I had to offer was honour. Let's make suffering a time when every member of our church Farno and beyond finds blessing that goes beyond their pain. Right? That's what palliative care in our health system does. Right? In my view, it's as important as the remediation that goes before it. It creates space for peace and grace to grow. I'd like to uh, read to you Chom's story. She's given me permission to do this. Chom's auntie lived for one and a half weeks uh, rather than three or four days has been predicted beyond longer. And she says, I will, this is what Chom says, I will forever cherish the wonderful memories I was able to make with auntie during the last moments of her life. I am grateful that we had the opportunity to laugh together, even though it was during tough times, and most importantly, I was able to thank her for being such an influential person in my life. Some times are just more significant than others. If we were to read on in Jacob's story, we would see that he passed on the blessing as he was dying. I'm afraid I don't have any contemporary stories of this, but you can read all about it in Genesis. Every son was blessed of his. We can do that. As we grow older, we can pass on that blessing. Parents, you'll be wanting to pass on that blessing every day, right, to your kids. So I would say... These times are special times. Let's not truncate them and lose the up blessings that God has for us. Finally, the last question. Isn't euthanasia just medicating my suffering? In the bill, it's called medication. Right? Well, I would say even Shakespeare knew the difference between a sleeping draught and a vial of poison from the apothecary and the terrible, tragic consequences of confusing the two. The Bible is quite clear that God loves his kids so much that killing somebody is not his will. In fact, I'll go put it a lot stronger than that. He hates 
killing someone. So I would say as Christians, let's not ask a medical practitioner to take our life. Right. The doctors have promised to treat our suffering and to do us no harm. That is their ethical practice, right? And uh, poison is not medication. But palliative care creates the space for grace and peace to grow. Okay, so what does my tale of end of life teach us this morning? I'll just leave you with the ABC as a thought. First of all, it teaches us we have a good, good father who wants to give his kids an eternity where there is no weeping or mourning, but only blessing after blessing. Secondly, we re to receive this, we turn from our broken ideas to do things, to believe in him and do things his way because we trust him that he only has the good things for us. Thirdly, we're going to avoid regressing and falling into deception because if we, we know if we make agreements with God's enemy, then we can lose some of the blessing that God has for us, although by his mercy, there are some things we can never lose, right? Finally, we can invest in ending life well now, right? Um, through his presence that enables us to grow in grace and peace, we can find strength to overcome. There's no better way to do this than by joining together to seize our calling to be the family of God and reach out with this amazing story and in compassionate care, especially to those who are near the end of their life. I believe this is our first and primary end-of-life choice. So why don't we stand and pledge ourselves to make it right now? Oh, we've taken it off already. Father God, we just want to worship you as the creator who made us in your image, to be like you, to share eternity with you. Lord, we just thank you that in your mercy and in your compassion, even though we don't deserve it, you've reached out through Jesus with salvation, not judgment. Lord, to bring us to your presence. Lord, we just thank you so much. Lord, we choose to believe in you. Lord, we choose to belong to you. Lord, and we say, will you... Will you come and speak to us each day about how we can invest in your story? Lord, how we can reach out in compassion, Lord, to others. How we can show, Lord, the, the, the culture that you've called us to have, Lord, of generosity, honour, Lord, uh, authenticity, inclusiveness and courage. Lord, we just say, will you, by your spirit, go on restoring us that we might accept every blessing that you have planned for us. Because, Lord, we are hungry to know you. We are hungry to receive from you.
And so we commit this to you now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.